Hello, I'm Annette, and thank you for listening to my podcast. Today, I'm excited to interview my longtime friend and longtime educator, uh, Carla Weatherly. Carla, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Annette. Carla, you and I go back a ways, but we'll talk about that maybe uh, in a few minutes. To just give the audience, the listeners, uh, an overview of who you are and your background in education. Well, I have been here a long time, Annette, and I started teaching kindergarten at Bivens Elementary after I graduated from college, went to Howard Payne University, and then started teaching kindergarten and loved it, and that's where I first met you and your wonderful Walker child, and we'll talk about that, but Anyway, um, then I got my master's in education at WT and went into, came to Region 16 in about 1992 and was with the Head Start program as a mental wellness specialist working with young children and their families and then became coordinator of the Head Start program and then became director of the Head Start, Early Head Start and Adult Basic Ed programs and then director of direct services for Region 16. 16. So I um, had most of my career here and then retired from Region 16 and became the P16 specialist for Region 16. So Region 16 is the Region 16 Educational Service Center. The state is divided up into, is it 20? 20 20, service uh, service centers. And they provide a lot of services to the local school districts and they're an arm of the TEA, correct? Yes, ma'am. And uh, they have they've been big supporters uh, in our region of just the collaboratives that we've worked on, the, the Panhandle 2020 work. Uh, they embraced the P16 concept when we started that. And we'll talk about that. And they they provide so many services to the school districts, especially to the small rural districts that don't have the capacity uh, that are that are that our larger districts might have. So they provide a wonderful resource for our communities. Well, we do serve 62 school districts here Mm -hmm. in the 26 counties of the Texas Panhandle, and 40 of those school districts have fewer than 500 students. So we are considered very rural, and those school districts really do need to utilize services and, and collaborate so much with each other. We're even the business office and print the paychecks for many, many, of our school districts and so we provide a lot of their internet services and um, then we are the link with TEA for all of their math updates social studies any of the content areas we have specialists who come and provide the latest and greatest in those fields for all of the teachers and provide their training I just have to let the listeners know that Carla was really the first face of public education that I saw. So it's kept me, <laughs> your, your energies and your enthusiasm <laughs> around education maybe helped spark my interest in public ed and kept me, kept me involved for all these years. So I was just thinking this morning, almost 32 years ago, we wow. moved to Amarillo from New Orleans and we, uh, our, our oldest son was entering kindergarten and Carla was his kindergarten teacher. 
And you were so bubbly and so enthusiastic and like just the perfect teacher. And you were the volunteer mom of the world. <laughs> I, I still seem to be. Yes, that. you are. I'm everybody's mom now. But we, we uh, you know, Walker had a wonderful experience in your class. And I remember specifically, of course, having moved from New Orleans, Mardi Gras was a big deal to us. So, which I had never heard of before. Which you had never heard of before. <laughs> But it's yeah. if if you live in New Orleans, it's it's a big deal, and it's and it's part of the culture, and it's very family friendly, even for those folks who have a different view of it. Because New Orleans, everybody has a bunch of kids, and so uh, it's very family friendly. And we, so what we did is, I think we got a king cake. You did, and brought a king cake, and uh, back when you could do those things, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah. we decorated a shoebox uh, as a Mardi Gras float, and you have. <laughs> Walker stand in that in a chair <laughs> to Mardi Gras music and pushed him around the classroom and had your own little Mardi Gras parade and I'm sure he threw beads and doubloons. Oh, we did. You brought the necklaces and everything. <laughs> so that was just a fun memory and just you know the enthusiasm that you showed to everybody in that classroom and and it was wonderful. Well, bringing all kinds of culture into the classroom is what teachers are all about and that was culture to me and it was so much fun. It was. So we're here today talking about the P-16 Council, the Texas Panhandle P-16 Council, and that stands for preschool through four years of college, because in our community, we really don't have a lot of graduate level degrees. So it's P-16 here. Some communities have P-20 councils. So Carla, you are now the director of the P-16 Council and have been for some years now. Tell us about the Texas Panhandle P-16 Council. Well, many people may not realize what age is is pre-k most people think it's probably three or four year olds because that's when we send them to pre-k in school but pre-kindergarten really is anything that happens before the formal years of entering kindergarten and really the p in p16 stands for pre-k that starts in the womb because we know that's where learning starts to happen and so this council really is looking at serving from womb until the formal years of education, and we, we call ours the P-16 through the, the senior year of college. And our council looks at ways to close the gaps in education, making it available to everyone. And the mission of the P-16 council is to promote success across the education continuum so students will grow to be successful citizens, professional, and lifelong learners, which you certainly model for all of us. Thank you, Carla. This started as a recommendation from the Educational Attainment Study in 2006 and 7 that Panhandle 2020 ran and implemented. And I believe in 2008 we were we officially launched the P16 right. Council because the team stepped up and and the team meaning the collaborative that we had pulled together around uh, education and educational attainment. Tell us who makes up our current P16 Council. We have formal bylaws and management teams and all and all this can be found on our website and I'll put those links in the show notes. 
Well, we're made up of a council that includes the four entities of higher ed in our area, which, of course, is WT, our university, West Texas, West Texas A&M. A&M University, Clarendon College, Frank Phillips College, and Amarillo College are all here in the 26 counties of the Texas Panhandle. So they make up that those four presidents are on our board and four vice presidents are also serve on the board. And then we have our 62 school districts who appoint seven superintendents to represent them. And those seven superintendents are made up of the size categories. So we have them from each one of our class, class our 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, 5A, 6A, 5A. Yeah, 6A. We have 6A sometimes. Um, Schools are all represented on there, and seven superintendents sit on that. And then we have three from early childhood. And so I was privileged with my uh, role as the director of Early Head Start and Head Start and ECI to serve on that board starting in 2008 as uh, from Region 16, and then also a rep from Emerald College Early Childhood serves on that board, and then um, a rep from AISD Early early childhood so and some community members then we also have for community members we have had annette carlisle representing all of you out there the community (laughs) um since its inception in 2008 and then we also have workforce solutions panhandle Trent Morris sits on this board, and we have Excel Energy representative on this board, and then we also have Education uh, Credit Union who sits on the board, and so it's it's really it sounds like a lot of people explaining it that way, but it's really a 22 member board, and we meet quarterly to really decide what we want our focus to be. Uh, We are funded and have sustainability because all of the school districts pay in 25 cents per ADA. That doesn't sound like a lot, but we have about 87,000 students in the Texas Panhandle. So everybody does their part, ranging from you know almost $8,000 for a district down to $10 for one district. So it really <laughs> is proportionate based on that um, ADA. And then our all of our higher ed entities pay into that. And then our, our community sponsors help us with uh, projects or membership funds. So that's really helps us to be sustainable. And we are really the only, every every area, the 20 service center areas may or may not have a P16, but we, at one time they did because higher ed funds funded it. But then when they stopped funding it, we were one of the only ones that had a sustainability uh, to continue this. And we are the only one that has included all of our higher eds and all of our school districts through this process. And so it's really helped us to collaborate and come to the table. There's a lot of ownership in it. And then this council helps me. I've been here five years now in this position to determine where we want to spend our energies and our time and our funds. And so we have a different focus at different times. So I'm going to go back to the early days of the P-16 Council when you were not director of it. And our initial focus area was really trying to build those bridges between the K-12 system and higher ed along the focus of the core subject areas. And we hosted, on a Saturday morning, I'm believing, 
a, a forum where we brought in from around around the region, the 26 county Panhandle region, uh, folks who represented you know the four core areas, you know the math, the science, the uh, language arts, and uh, social studies, and we had a large gathering, but then we broke out into subject areas. At that initial larger meeting, we had a lot of explanation about what the different expectations were for K-12 system and for the higher ed system. And it's very different. There, there are really multiple systems of education in our state. But what we're trying to do here is really bring those systems together, work together, understand the challenges that each other face and respect those differences, but really work together. And we had core subject area individuals that we paid a stipend to to really try to pull together those folks, to work together to try to build cross-sector or, you know, cross you know, higher ed and K-12 uh, sectors to really understand each other, to try to go, some of our higher ed folks would go to the call, I mean, to the K-12 high schools, probably mostly, and, and work with the teachers there and, or bring the teachers and even some of the students to their campuses. So really, initially, it was breaking down those those silos right. that we existed in. And I think we had a real disconnect at that time. Um, the high school teachers really didn't know the expectations of, let's say, math. Senior math teacher didn't really know what the freshman math college requirements were going to be. So bringing those two together so that they could have dialogue and conversation and lesson planning together so that one would naturally bridge over into the other. And there was a huge disconnect. That was a work for several years and even an avatar grant from higher ed board helped to fund some, some of that so that we could pay stipends to these teachers that were coming in on extra times in the summers and trying to work so that they could not have a gap between what they knew in high school and what they needed to know in college so that we wouldn't have dropouts, especially in those core areas of science and math, language arts, and those those STEM areas. And, and so um, the TSI testing that ended up coming into play really helped to uh, maybe not phase that out, but help to show this is exactly what they have to know. And so now that that, that is in place, I think that's what changed the focus of our council because we really got our act together on that. And we are having more and more high school students graduating college ready and not having to do remediation classes once they get to college so that they'll be ready to take the real math class that they need to really start as soon as they exit high school. So that was a lot of great work that went on for several years. And this council provides a platform yes. for those conversations yes, to happen. Exactly. Sometimes they're kind of difficult conversations, but that's okay. They're they're real, and really understanding the different expectations and the and the requirements for the students. And I remember early on when some of the higher ed folks would look at the curriculum in high school for one year, and they would say this should take two years to teach. So there has been discussion around the issue of 
too broad and not deep enough. And I think we even wrote a white paper on that years ago uh, that's on our website. Uh, We've also done a big push on FAFSA completion, although that's now mandatory. A few years ago, it wasn't. And so you led us, you know, a chance for a scholarship. Well, and and actually, even this year, if you're out there and you have seniors who who haven't completed the FAFSA, uh, March 15th is our deadline. And that is because scholarships are starting to be funded beginning March 15th. The federal scholarships um, start being funded. So if they want to have a chance at every scholarship out there, they need to have their FAFSA completed by March 15th. And the high schools who have the highest percentage of seniors completing the FAFSA by March 15th will be eligible for a drawing for a scholarship on their campus. And so the last few years, Education Credit Union has funded three $500 scholarships and No Limits, No Excuses has actually joined us the last year and they are funding uh, four as well. So across our panhandle, we are giving seven $500 scholarships to the high schools who have the the highest percentage of students completing the FAFSA. We know that um, now FAFSA is starting to be required. Actually, the mandate will come into play 2021. So we have one more year, but next year, so all schools must have 100% completion of FAFSA because we know there's a direct correlation in completing the FAFSA and entering college because once a student completes the FAFSA, they find out what scholarships they're eligible for. And when they realize they have a scholarship out there, they want to start college because it's paid for. It's kind of like if you have a coupon and you want to get (laughs) that discount before it expires, you need to do that. And so... It gives them a burning desire to go ahead and and utilize that scholarship to get started. And once they get started, that's all it takes. Getting in that door, their foot in the door. I think the the scare factor of I won't know where to go. I won't know people there. I, I'll, I'll, I'll get lost. That, that college is our big place is really not true because there's a lot of people that are handholders in that and can walk them through that. They can go and explore the campus before. And that's been another big thing is to have visits from seniors to the campuses so that they get some familiarity before they graduate. And they can say, oh, I'm comfortable here. I know some people and I know what to do and where to go. So we have really had a push for that. So encouraging the FAFSA, we've had our sponsors step up and, and help us with that and um, even make it some of a, a competition. So next year, we've already decided that our our scholarships will be handled um, by the school that reaches 100% first. So anytime you can have a race or a competition, um, we're pretty competitive up here in the Panhandle. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it a little more fun. And if you attach money to it, well, it really, it really does help. So and would you please tell the listeners what FAFSA stands for? The FAFSA, F. A-F-S-A stands for Free Application for Federal Student Aid. And Thank that's, you. that's helping them apply for financial aid for college or graduate school. Great. Thank you. 
In recent years, we've kind of focused on a few different areas. Do you want to cover that? Since I see some of the documentation and pretty flyers sitting in front of you there. Yes, we've had some exciting times and so much community support for projects that we have focused on through our P16 Council. And our media department here at Region 16 has taken all of our ideas and turned them into incredible documents that we have gotten into the hands of people. I, I guess one of my favorites since my world, I originally was a part of the P in P16 <laughs> as an early childhood educator. And with Head Start and Early Head Start was a focus on reaching out to parents and helping them understand that they are their child's primary and first teacher. And they cannot wait till their child be, enters public school to start their child's education, that we know so much of the brain development is happening at birth. And so we do not have a minute to waste to help those brain synapses connect and help them to become able to have a foundation for learning. So we got together um, as, as the early childhood leaders of P16 and brought in a team of what we called the early childhood think tank. And so we had about a 20 member team made up of early childhood educators across the panhandle and came up with a focus of teach me, I'm yours. And it was to help parents to understand their role that science shows 80% of the brain growth happens by the age of three. Unbelievable. So beginning from birth, young brains develop like little muscles, and they're getting bigger and stronger the more that you interact with your child. And so a child's learning abilities depend on the foundation that the parents help them develop. And so they must start at the time of birth. So we created some flyers that we took into all the places that children are born in the Texas Panhandle. And how many children do you think are born a year in the Texas Panhandle, approximately? I'll guess 5,000. Well, you are a pretty good guesser. <laughs> it's a little more than that, about 7,500. Okay. But that's in the ballpark range. It else. used to be 4,000 in Amarillo okay. is the reason I oh, guessed Oh, in Amarillo. Yeah. Yes. Well, when you add the rest of the Panhandle, and yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So um, it's about 7,500. Well, we wanted to come up as a group with what would be the main things in simple language that parents could do with their child to help them be successful. And so this early childhood think tank group, we came up with, well, first you need to nurture them and love them. And then you, you need to sing with them. Singing brings in so much rhythm and rhyme and pre-reading skills. And a different part of the brain. Absolutely. Get the, the left and the right brain going. And then you need to play with them. And what does play look like? But you need to play with your child. Be playful. And then you need to read, 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 read to your read, child. Read, read, read. You cannot read enough. And so you need to model reading. You need to read yourself, but you need to read to them. So we thought if you did these four things consistently with your child, that they would have a better foundation. And this is based on the science out of? Well, this was based out of the science of these early childhood think tank groups in the Texas Panhandle. And we created this in 19, I mean, in 2016, 2016. Well, um, so we got these single page flyers into all of the hospitals and all in and into um, and we did this through the help of Workforce Solutions. They printed all of our flyers for us and They're they a great were in partner. with 
all of the pediatricians with agencies. Well, then our mayor in Amarillo, Ginger Nelson, um, last year had an early childhood summit, and she was bringing in Dr. Ron Ferguson from Harvard. And he and his team at Harvard had done a lot of research, and they had come up with, it's called the Baby Basics. Well, and let me back up one more step. Our early childhood think tank group got together in about 2018 and decided we would make up activity cards to go with our four things we thought were important. So we came up with activity cards that said, how do you love your child? How do you nurture your child? How do you sing to your child? What's some specifics on that? How do you play with your child? What does it look like if you read to your child? What are some detailed things? How can you talk about the front of the book, the back of the book, and sequencing in the story? So we came up with these ideas, and we were fixing to take them to print, and we were in our final stage of printing them. And then we found out about the Early Childhood Summit and Ron Ferguson coming and his Baby Basics, which, believe it or not, a Harvard study, a think tank group over time had research. What could you do as a parent that would make the biggest difference in your child's life? And guess what they came up with? Five things, five things. The first one is love them. Maximize love and manage stress. Because babies and toddlers thrive when their world feels loving, safe, and predictable. You can respond with smiles, words, and touch to help them see, hear, and feel your love, and you will help them develop a sense of security and self-control. Then the next thing you can do to help your child be ready is sing to them. Sound familiar? <laughs> that's what that's what Harvard st- study said. Babies learn language from the moment they are born. Respond to their sounds and then later their words. Connect with eye contact and a loving tone of voice while pointing to help them know what you were talking about. Then the next thing they came up with, explore through movement and play with your child. Sound familiar? (laughs) Babies are like little scientists who love making discoveries. Watch them to see what interests them. Then encourage their curiosity and help them learn when they play and explore through what their interests are. Then you must read to your child. That's what Harvard says. Reading turns kids into confident thinkers. Make books a regular part of your relationship from the very beginning. With infants, point at the pictures and speak with excitement. With toddlers, just make it fun. And then the fifth thing that the Harvard group came up with that our early childhood think tank group did not include in our original uh, was count. Count with your child. Count group and compare. We know math skills really do need to be included. And and that's the hardest thing for most people is math. So start it in infancy. Every child's brain is wired for math. Talk about numbers and shapes and patterns and comparisons as you go about your routines together and watch your child learn to love math. So we were excited that we were so close. So we, we called up Ron Ferguson and we said, Dr. Ferguson, We have been working on this for three years in our community. Teach me, I'm yours. Read to me, I'm yours. Play with me, I'm yours. Sing with me, I'm yours. Love me. I'm yours. We have been working on this for three years, and we, we saw your study, and it's so aligned. We Could we merge these two together? And he said, your community is so far 
beyond what most of the communities I work with. He has worked with communities in Africa, but he started this in Boston. And they are seeing that you cannot help your community unless you help the early childhood. And you start the value of education at birth and help parents see that so that they will encourage this generation to grow up and help with education attainment. So... All that said, um, we we merged together. We stopped the press on our activity cards, and we started new ones that encompassed this that um, also have the Basics logo and website on it. Many of their materials are free. They have really gone into depth over this, and so... We are really proud that we have these to distribute to the community. Um, and Excel Energy, another one of our partners, has helped to fund these beautiful activity cards that we have. And all of our resources are in Spanish and English. And so uh, your your listeners can contact me at Region 16. And while our supplies last, we'll be glad to provide those. We have gotten these out to um, the flyers, of course, out to all of the hospitals and places that newborns are, um, and people working with birth to three, like our ECI programs and our early head start programs and our child care centers. And then we have our activity cards that we are getting out to all of these as well. And so we have resources to share and would love to get them into the hands. Of and for parents. those who are local, these are available on our website to yes, download ma'am. and print yourself. Absolutely. All of these are free, available. Just go to the P16 website. They're in PDF form as well as JPEG. If you want to upload them to a website, you can as pictures or to PDF to print on your own um, or email out to every parent that you know. And I have to say they are adorable and beautiful flyers and the pictures are just captivating. They're just, you know, you look at them, you're just like, Oh, <laughs> and like, here's an example of play with me. I'm yours for an infant ways to play with them. Have some tummy time. Let a child, they, they need to be on their tummy. They're um, also going to be starting to crawl and you need some tummy time. Move their arms and legs. Follow their interest. Find them objects to handle. Play peekaboo. Let them move around and explore. And you know, the best way to ch- make sure that your house is child safety protected is to get on the floor and crawl around. And if you find (laughs) things crawling around yourself on your floor, and I, I especially encourage grandparents to do this because really grandparents' houses are a dangerous place because they Somebody might have their purse on the floor and medications might be found on the floor in in a purse. So you crawl around yourself. Make sure your environment is safe for your infants. So a way to play with toddlers. Go on walks to the park. Roll a ball back and forth. Play obstacle course games. Play guessing games. Act things out. Let them problem solve. What would happen if we did this? For threes and fours, play in a tent with your child. Children love tents, even if it's made out of a sheet stretched over one or two chairs. Tents are the funnest thing. They are. Play I Spy. Describe an object and see if they can guess what it is. Make art projects together. They don't have to be expensive. They can be taking the macaroni out of your cabinet and gluing it down and, and <laughs> making food coloring on them to make them different colors. You know, you you be creative and make a shopping list together. And as you're in the store, check off items at the store. Let your child help with the grocery shopping. Those little baskets are sometimes available, sometimes not, but 
the more they can experience it, the less they will be um, causing parents to feel like they have to discipline them in the grocery store. And if you see a parent who's breaking down in a grocery store, which I've done many times, go over and just visit with the child and find something to talk to them. Pull a can off the shelf and say, hey, do you see what this is? What food group is this in? You're modeling to that parent and you're helping distract the child from their tears or tantrum. So uh, those are some of the examples of what the cards say on them so that you can have ideas to play with your children. And I would encourage everyone to just go even look at these if you're not interested in, you know, or have their, the need for them. But they're just adorable. And they're, they're a great example of, of a resource that's available and free and can help help our children and help our parents be good educators of their babies and their children before the school district ever has access to educate those children. And throughout their child's life, the parent is the primary educator. They are the one that is making sure their child is getting their homework done, even in middle school and high school, and helping support their child through all their educational activities and assignments and efforts. Let's talk about the other thing I see lying over there. Another need in our community. Another huge need in our community is teachers. And I don't know if you can guess, but we need a lot of teachers in the Texas Panhandle. And actually, actually um, Emerald ISD is the single largest employer in all of the Texas Panhandle with all of the teachers and not just teachers, but all of the staff that are hired. And um, so throughout the Panhandle, it takes over 12,000 employees in the field of education. Now that is everybody from custodians to bus drivers to assistants to uh, superintendents, you know, 12,000. But how many of those do you think are teachers for our 85,000 students in the Panhandle? Probably about 5,000. That's another pretty good guess. About (laughs) as many as children born is what you're thinking. And truly, it is close to that because the real number last year on our PEAMS data, TEA data, um, said we had 6,610 teachers in the Texas Panhandle in all of our schools serving the 85,000 students. So so over 6,000. And so every year, just with attrition and needs, Actually, last last fall, last September, we needed 501 new teachers, 501, 503 new teachers. So over 500 teachers that we need a year. And so that's a lot of teachers. Mm -hmm. And WT is probably our, well, it is definitely our biggest place that our teachers come from. And about 80% of the educators in the Texas Panhandle schools have gotten some degree from WT. I was in the room the other day and there were about eight educators from our Texas Panhandle schools. I said, okay, how many of you as educators got a degree from WT? Everyone, eight, all eight, raise their hand, either masters or undergrad or some of them even doctorate. Now they offer an education doctorate. So with that said, WT last year had 252 graduates in the field of education. So nowhere close to the 500. Not even half. And so with that said, we know that supply and demand 
is very off balance and we need more teachers. Well, one of the things that we are finding is a lot of people go out and get a degree. Our teacher of the year this year, Jennifer Garner, who's at River Road, she started her career in the military. She was in the military and uh, served for about six years. And then after that, she was in another job. And um, I can't remember what that field was, but used a lot of math skills. And she decided, you know what, I really wished I had to become a teacher. So she went back to school and got an alternative certification degree and became a math teacher. And we are in great need of math teachers. She is a high school math teacher, and she was our secondary teacher of the year last year for Region 16. So people that go into other fields and decide, I really want to feel fulfilled in my career and I really wish I had to become a teacher. Well, there are a lot of those out there. And matter of fact, almost half of our teachers now are coming from alternative certification. And what is crazy is that it's surprising that they can do this in a very short time. If they have job experience and if they have a bachelor's degree already in a field and they have content coursework in, I think they have to have uh, a certain number of hours of content coursework in the field that they want to teach. So if they want to teach math, they have to have a certain number of their college hours in their bachelor's that would apply towards math. And then um, if they pass the content math test that is required for teachers, saying that they can do all of the math required for high school level, geometry, algebra, calculus, whatever it is, then they are hireable by a school district. They would need to be in an alternative certification program, and there are lots of those out there, but um, they would need to be enrolled in one of those. So the cost to do that and take your test is about $250. If somebody started that today, they could be hireable for the fall of 2020 as a teacher. Then when they're hired, they get the regular pay scale, pay check for a full-time teacher, but they also have a mentor that's assigned to them, and they are enrolled in this alternative certification program where they are doing some online work throughout this year. They also have to take a second test on pedagogy working with children and knowledge of working with children. They take that during that year that they're teaching. So they've had some on hands-on experience and working with this mentor. Then at the end of the year, if all goes well and they have evaluations by their mentor and by their building principal or administrator, um, then they receive their Texas teaching certificate at the end of that first year. And they do pay for the course for taking this alt cert, but the payments that they would make would be after they have a teacher paycheck. And um, the amount for that course varies depending on which program they choose. So what's exciting is that this next Thursday, March the 12th, we will be hosting an event called Path to Teaching for all of the Region 16 area. And it is going to be here at Region 16 Education Service Center, 5800 Bell. 
It's going to start at 545 with registration and refreshments. We'll provide a light supper. We know a lot of people may have been working, so we'll provide that for them. And then our program will be 615 to 815. We'll have representatives from several alternative certification programs who will share the exact requirements needed to quickly complete the teaching certification process. So we will go through that. The representatives will talk to individuals after the overall event. So that is a very exciting thing that we're bringing in and have these people coming in from Houston and Dallas. And then um, WT has a program. WTAMU has a, a path to teaching program for alternative certification. They will be here as well. So we really want to encourage people to come out and hear what that's all about. If they have questions, they can call me. There is registration on the Region 16 website if they want to pre-register for this event, but that is not required because we'll have registration on site, but they must arrive at 545 to 615. Another exciting thing is these Alt-Cert programs are going to provide some scholarships for their programs. And so you must be present to win, but they'll have a drawing from those who are here, and they also are going to provide some other door prizes. So dinner chance for scholarships and chance for other door prizes and And good information great information on a path to teaching and i know a lot of our teachers go through the traditional program lots of them at west texas a&m some through the pace program at wt and i know another program that's recently uh, launching is a partnership the two plus one program uh, at Amarillo College for potential teachers for Amarillo ISD is two years at Amarillo College and then one year through Texas Tech doing student teaching during the day and then online coursework at night and they can come out with their bachelor's in That's teaching correct. They in do the have to math go... or elementary I believe. Yes they do have to go through the summer as well so summer it, as well. Okay. all the summers they would have to be taking hours too I think they take 52 hours in a year so it's yeah. a pretty intense year so they they go both summer but but it is in three years that could be done um, if they start and especially if they have hours coming in from dual credit it makes it even more doable so talk about as we wrap up the work you do with the local high schools well it's very exciting the uh, the last three years actually we have hosted events called why teach and we talk about the benefits of teaching and so we have the 62 school districts bring in students from their campuses to who are possibly interested in becoming teachers and they come in and they hear about the path to teaching and what it would take for them to become a teacher and um, how important their criminal history record is and uh, we want great people who can work with young children and there are a lot of programs in high school now that help to connect high school students with working with younger children and PALS programs and um, some some classes where they go in and actually tutor younger stu- students that may give them that little extra idea of how special it is to see the light bulb go off in someone's head when they learn something new and how exciting it can be to be a teacher and fulfilling. So these high school students come in for a day and we have a pep rally for them with cheerleaders and drum lines and um, then we have... Of course you do. Yeah. 
it's, it's fun, fun, fun. And um, then we actually have a lot of TAFI students, which we've been very involved in getting which the is. Texas Association of Future Educator groups are, are on a lot of campuses. And those students take the lead and they introduce our speakers. We've had uh, Mayor Nelson and Jennifer Garner, the Teacher of the Year, come in, different people like that to very, very much inspire these students to, to come back. We want to grow our own students. And, you know, one thing that some people don't realize is that to educate a student from pre-K through their senior year, our communities pay in almost between eighty dollars to $100,000 per student wow. to educate a child. And what can that child give back to us? What a wonderful investment, though. Yes, our community invests that through our ADA funding, our average daily attendance funding on these students. It's over about 6000 a student a year. So it is a lot of money. And if they go to pre-K, even more years. So all that said, very, very much inspirational. And we have great kids that are already there. And then all of our higher ed entities talk about the partnerships, about the things that they are doing collaboratively to help make sure that all of the hours that they take at the community colleges will transfer to WT so they won't waste any time and destination WT is the focus that they have that they have for these students and the scholarships we have opportunity plan comes in and gives away a $500 scholarship or two $250 scholarships last time because the students said we want more so so we gave gave two 250 last time to this group coming in for why teach and so the first year we had over 200 and our room was at capacity so the second year we offered it twice and we had 200 at each session and so then this last year this year we we offered it twice as well so we have had almost a thousand students go through our why teach event over the last three years to encourage them as high school students to think about education as a career path wow do you have any numbers of how many of them ended up going well, into education? Well, we know we haven't compared our sign-in sheets with uh, how many with the colleges, but we do know that Emerald College's education department numbers are up approximately thirty-eight percent. Yes, I saw those um, recently. This year, uh, this spring, for education majors. So. We want to attribute that to this. We also do know that um, in 2017-18, WT had 216 education finishers, and in 18-19, they had 252. So the numbers are up at both WT and at AC, and there had been a downward trend of numbers, and and also, the number of teachers um, in 2018 that we needed was 551, and the number in 2019 was 503. So that number went down. So we we hope that we are encouraging more to go into education through all of these activities and events, and we're seeing data show that we are having more go into education. So, Well, I'm sure this is attributable, at least in part, uh, to the efforts of, of your work in the P16 Council. Any last words you'd like to say, Carla? Well, I, I know we have said, you've heard many times, it takes a village to raise a child. And 
truly there was a tribe that they would they would say well how are your children when they greeted someone and if the children were doing well then the community was doing well and so we want to say how are our children we want to know that our children in the Texas panhandle are doing well that they have a great foundation and it has to start with Every person in the community helping, whether you're a grandparent age or you're a new new mommy or whether you're a high school student modeling to younger students how how to behave and, and that education is important, that we all must be lifelong learners. And I think one of my favorite stories is that a few years back when I was working, um, one of my programs was the, the GED program that I worked with across the panhandle. And we had a lady named Abby Eves who was 97 years old when she attained her GED. She had always wanted to do that. Well, Good Morning America interviewed her. She was the oldest in the nation to get her GED right here in the Texas Panhandle. And um, she, we had a graduation ceremony for our GED graduates. She, uh, using her walker, walked across to get her GED certificate. And she immediately enrolled in Amarillo College. All right. Guess what she took? Education. Well, she took computer classes. (laughs) I think she might have thought it might be too late to become a teacher. (laughs) But she took computer classes at Emerald College. And um, her little nursing home took her to her classes. And she has since passed. That was several years ago. But she, to me, is a hero and a role model that we all need to be lifelong learners. And we all need to be helping model for our children educational attainment and we can always do better. And every child you see, greet them with a smile. Know that you as a community are also their educator. Carla, thank you for your passion and your energy and your lifelong endeavors in education and your just enthusiasm around uh, educating our, our youth across, not only across Amarillo and the Texas Panhandle, but across the world. Well, thank you too, Annette, for your influence on my life and my career and, and for all that you do for all aspects of education, whether it's supporting school boards, whether it's region for the college, whether it's Raise Your Hand Texas, whether it's, you know, all of these things that you're involved in that help our community. 2020 started years ago. Um, that a lot of these seeds have grown from your nurturing and um, P16 certainly as well. And so we appreciate your blog that you have trying to educate the community and you are another example of that lifelong learner and lifelong educator and we appreciate you thank you and thank you for being on my podcast and thank you for listening to Annette on education